Welcome to Educational Alpha. Kaya CEO and host Bill Kelly brings you on-the-ground conversations with business leaders, educators, coaches, and industry colleagues from around the globe. In this episode, Bill meets up with Kaya member Jacqueline Farogi, co-founder and managing partner of Brazen Impact and a lecturer in management at Stanford Graduate School of Business. The two dig deeper into the distinct difference between the often confused terms of impact and ESG, as well as her passion and perspective on what the next generation stands to inherit beyond money. Listen in. Welcome to the latest edition of Educational Alpha, where the investor's edge starts with informed consent. I'm your host, Bill Kelly, today, and I'm proud to be joined by Jacqueline Faruqi. Jacqueline, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, too. So uh, I'm going to talk about how we met in a moment, and you politely called me out on a confusion about the term of ESG versus impact, which uh, you did it in a very polite uh, way. You're a Kaya member, so I always show great deference to my members as well. But before we get to that, you've had a very interesting career, and it looked like you kind of began in the traditional equity fixed income space, but now you're an educator, you're an impact investor, you're uh, a couple of uh, causes you're very passionate about as best I can tell. So maybe just a little brief uh, background in history so people know who you are. Yeah, sure. So I started my career on, on Wall Street, mostly equity and fixed income trading, sales trading. And then I went over to the buy side, was at, let's see, started some ETFs with what is now BlackRock, but at the time was iShares at BGI. And then and then went over to Quant Hedge Fund. So I've had a very diverse background that has kind of allowed me to see a lot and for which I'm very grateful because I got to see how a lot of different, very sophisticated actors uh, play in the market. And so I think then after doing some time with the hedge fund, I I just decided, you know, I kind of want to get back to sales trading. I love the action of it. Uh, Went back and did that. and And then life took its turn and I became a mom. And so that's kind of, I think, what started this path toward what I really care about, what's important to me. And that is obviously the next generation and what they're, what they stand to inherit, which is more than money. It's social and environmental issues that are a result of our actions today. So that's kind of the transition and where we are now. And and I think having four daughters, uh, that's also something that's very important to us is, you know, issues around female empowerment and equity, and then um, just having biracial children as well. It's it's obviously something that, you know, we think about and we think about a lot. And then I'm actually um, a competitive ultramarathon runner. So I spend a lot of time in the outdoors, a lot of time in nature. And so it gives me a lot of time to think about, you know, the legacy we leave behind and, and obviously being in California, a lot about wildfire, a lot about climate change. And so that's kind of it's kind of how we arrived at where we are today, which is, you know, a lot of great care around, you know, how we do invest our dollars and the future of our planet and, and our people. Thanks for the intro and great vantage point in terms of what you're doing now. And when I post this, I'll put a link to this paper because I, I thought it was excellent. But maybe uh, talk about the difference between ESG and impact. And I think ESG gets a lot of play, but there's plenty of places to hide there because it's measuring everything and nothing at all. And I certainly have some views there where impact is much more precise, much more directed. And I think in this paper, you talk about sort of the three must-haves when it comes to impact. I think you talk about ESG as a construct 
and impact as a strategy. So with that lead in, maybe you could explain a little bit about the thought process as to how do you separate the two? Yeah. So, and, and I will preface this by saying, you know, I operate a lot in the impact side of things and the impact investing side of things. And so this is not a knock on ESG. It's just kind of the observations that I'm making and sort of the frustrations that I felt in trying to educate people about the impact investing market. Uh, so I just want to make that clear. But I think you're, you're right. ESG is exactly what we said. It's a framework. It's a framework for investing and looking at how we can invest more sustainably and perhaps more responsibly. Now, the problem is that there's so many methodologies for doing so that it becomes very confusing. It com becomes very mixed. It becomes very uh, difficult to measure. And in fact, you, you actually saw that when I believe it was at the end of last year, the USSIF had to slash their recording of the market from, I think it was 17 billion to 8 billion. Now, it just whacked it in half because solely based on methodology and because it was very unclear. And so when you have things like that, that make it very unclear to educate and to provide you know, guidance and standards or principles around investing, then it kind of makes you question what you're doing at all. And so to your point, it kind of measures everything and nothing at the same time. So the impact space, and I'm not comparing or contrasting, it's just an observation that I'm making as kind of somebody on the impact side. First of all, we're not perfect. We have a lot of issues too. You have to have a financial return, and that's something that you know, we also do on the, on the ESG space as well. But the one thing that we do try to do over on the impact investing side is measure what we're doing and measure the impact of what we're doing and the investments that we're making. And that's a really important point because we haven't figured that out. Nobody has. There's some really fantastic methodologies out there. They range from very quantitative to highly qualitative, and none of them are wrong. And the reason for that is because the impact spectrum varies so greatly. There are some people who have an impact first methodology, and, and you know, obviously they still have to have a positive financial return. And then there are others that are massive multi-billion dollar climate funds that absolutely insist on above benchmark returns. And maybe their impact is also collinear. In other words, we want both financial returns and impact to increase at the same time. But the methodology for measuring that impact may be completely different. And so the point being that it's just very difficult for us on the impact side to say, we've got it all figured out. We absolutely don't. But we absolutely are trying to figure out a way to get on the same page and the thing that I do enjoy about the impact investing space is that there is a lot of agreement in what we're trying to achieve, number one. And that's something that I don't think that we find a lot on the ESG side. We don't have a lot of concrete figures to point to. What we do point to a lot on the impact investing market are the UN SDGs. And I do recognize that they might be flawed, especially you know, uh, a lot of this being uh, hoped to be accomplished by 2030. And that's, you know, that's not very far away. And so they're very, very lofty goals. But a lot of us in the impact investing space, we do look to those goals as kind of our, our guiding light. And that's just not something that you see on the ESG side. So I do think that the impact investing market, it does have its issues. But I do think that as a strategy, it does tend to be a little bit more clear, especially when we talk about things like fiduciary duty and some folks who, you know, if I'm a you know pension fund and I now want to incorporate ESG principles into my investment strategy or investment mandate, that's a highly controversial topic right now. And that's not something you'll see on the impact investing side, because many of the investors on that side are investing with intentionality 
And those who come in and invest alongside you already know and recognize that intentionality. And that's a key feature of impact investing is this desire to actually have an impact in the market. You've seen the same things I have clearly that ESG has become a bit of a political football. There's certain states where the legislator all of a sudden thinks they're a fiduciary. But even in the US, uh, the DOL just recently is still batting back and forth. Is it pecuniary interest or can I take uh, ESG risk factors in place? So it makes it hard for the fiduciary, but it seems like there's a lot of ESG product out there. And if I'm a large public pension plan, put aside some of the challenges, depending on your state or what the DOL is saying, is the impact space large enough where a big public fund like a CalPERS could make a meaningful allocation and not be 100% of the impact fund? And I guess maybe what I'm asking is, how large is the impact space and could large pension plans be very purposeful here? So that's a really difficult one because again, Everybody has a different definition of impact along that spectrum that I talked about before. So it's really hard to say, where do we measure impact? Is it somebody who just has a positive financial return and some positive impact in or intentionality or additionality? Um, so it's really hard to say exactly what is impact, but efforts have been made. The Global Impact Investing Network, the GIN, has made that, that attempt, and I believe at the end of 2021, the market itself had passed a trillion dollars. And that's you know just an estimate based on a survey that they made. So again, it's not a perfect number. It's not a perfect estimate. And what I do love about this space is that it acknowledges that it's not a perfect estimate and a perfect number, but it is, it is large enough that um, definitely, you know, let me put it this way. If you can have somebody like TPG Rise and Climate Funds raising $6 billion plus climate fund alone, then absolutely, you can have a massive impact in this space. CalPERS can absolutely be a player in this space. Pension funds can absolutely be a player in this space. Then we get into some of the nuances too around climate and how that is a bit easier to measure than the social side of things, right? And so it is easier to scale something like climate um, and it is easier for a pension fund or you know, some of these state-sponsored uh, programs to actually consider investment in one of those funds. And, and when it comes to the allocator and ESG, there's always this discussion about greenwashing, and it is very much alive and well. Is it almost impossible by definition to have greenwashing in the impact space? There's no place to hide to some degree. Yes and no. We also have issues on our side, and I'm being very honest and true about this because it's something I'm... First of all, let me back up and say I'm the biggest critic of the impact space. I'm not just looking at ESG and identifying all of the things that are wrong over there. I'm also a huge critic over here. And I will say that, yes, you, there's absolutely opportunity to impact wash on this side because of that gray area of definition of impact. Okay. And I'll give a couple of examples. One is a lot of folks will come to me and say, well, I have this really great biotech firm and I've got this great new product or new medicine that's going to save so many lives. That's impact, right? And to most people, you'd say, sure, absolutely. But here's the problem. How is it being handed out? Let's think about the COVID vaccine, right? How was it handed out? Is it handed out equitably? Because if it's not, then you're exacerbating issues that already exist. And that goes the same thing with many, many fintech products as well. They sound great, they're technologies, right? They're great, but they continue to exacerbate issues of wealth distribution. And that's 
against what we're trying to, to do in the impact space. So I would say, yes, there's definitely those cases where impact washing is an issue. But I will also say that in the impact space, intentionality and authenticity are key. And you will hear and meet more people in the impact space who are very humble and authentic. And you can see it right away. You can see if somebody is true to what they are doing and true to their investment thesis, true to their logic model, true to their theory of change. And if they're not, you can spot it right away. You can tell if somebody is just in the space to make money. And I will say compared to the traditional space, the impact space is extremely collaborative and it's it's small in terms of there's very few people who don't know each other. A lot of us know each other and, and a lot of us are all trying to accomplish the same greater goal. And when we spot somebody who isn't doing the right thing, fortunately, we've got a lot of very bold people who will call it out too. Like me, I guess. <laughs> I suspect you seem like the type that would. So, so I want to come back to intentionality, Jacqueline. So I assume that would have to apply to the LPs, the GPs, and then also the operators of the portfolio companies. And if you're operating inside of a fund, I don't know what your typical holding period is, three, five, seven years. At the end of that period, how important is it that you're turning it over? to a buyer that cares as much as you do. And that might be a more difficult balance to strike because now I don't know if you can always have a double bottom line because the highest bidder may not be the best owner, but you're working on an exit. So how do you balance that? And that's a really, really great question and something that we think about a lot. And actually a lot of funds do think about a lot. I'm not going to name them all, but I do know quite a few, uh, some that are actually in my class that do a really great job. And I would actually say, Almost every fund that I work with, at least in my class at Stanford, does a really excellent job of incorporating impact after exit. And they do continue to measure the impact beyond when it's been sold or when distribution has occurred. And so that is something, and even, even after investment, that is just something that continues with a lot of our, um, with the funds that I've seen. And yeah, it is definitely a core piece of what they're trying to incorporate into their investment process. So at this stage of the discussion, Jacqueline, I always ask about a tip or something focused on educational alpha. I think you've already delivered. So in the last couple of minutes, uh, something that does interest me a lot, Now I'm uh, the father of five, four boys and one girl, so a different dynamic than you. But I look at this next generation, and my kids are from 18 to 32, and they are much more socially aware, climate aware, but their financial literacy I think is less than my generation was. And they want advice. They need advice. And I don't know anything about it, but I saw this uh, brazen finlet that you're working on. So maybe a little bit of uh, an infomercial on that. It's a not-for-profit. I think it's focusing on financial literacy and maybe something that Kaya could get our head wrapped around because it looks like an excellent cause. Yeah. So that was something that, and you hit it right on the head. It's just something I was working with my kids trying to get them interested in finance. And I just was having a really hard time. And I was like, why am I wasting my time teaching this to the kids? This is something that's so important and so valuable to their future. Why am I teaching it to them? And then what was funny is I started teaching my kids and then I kept getting other parents asking me to teach their kids. And I was like, these are really wealthy parents. Like, teach them yourself, you know, like, but I actually, I saw a need because I actually grew up in a pretty um, non-wealthy area and I grew up non-wealthy myself. And so just 
having experienced the level of empowerment that I did when I got financial knowledge was life-changing. And so that's something that when I think about providing to, you know, underserved communities, and it's not just kids that we provide that to, it's also adults, particularly adults with barriers to work. So, you know, formerly incarcerated or not just women, but also men in domestic abuse situations or recent refugees, various instances where people are having trouble finding work or managing their finances. And that's just something that I think it's something that should be in all schools. And that's something where I see a very, very huge path to what we're doing, but we have to make sure we get it right. I think it's really important to understand how best to deliver this to low-income communities, particularly to communities of color and you know, diverse communities. How we communicate you know, financial advice to a woman is completely than we would you know, communicate advice to a man. And so we're doing a lot of research right now trying to make sure that we get that message across correctly before we go out and try to deliver it more broadly. Because my intent is not to make money off of that or to get fame and fortune from it. It really just is, I really do think that this country really suffers from a lack of financial education. And it's something that should frankly be at the bottom of our pyramid that should lie within security. And it's something that should lie within our housing needs and our food needs and all of the things that frankly just keep us alive. And I think so far we've really deprioritized that. And, and I think it's to the detriment of our country and our kids' futures. I agree with all that. It's table stakes, full stop. So if we can ever be helpful, uh, let me know, uh, me personally or Kaya, the association. But uh, Jacqueline, I'm so glad you reached out and so glad to have learned something from a Kaya member. You're exceedingly well accomplished. A lot of respect for what you're doing. And thank you for all of that. I do very much appreciate it. Of course. And thank you all. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And I love meeting more Kaya members. So definitely let's keep it rolling. Outstanding. Please join us in the next segment of Educational Alpha as we look to always put the investor first through transparency, education, and informed consent. <laughs>